0: Hey, uh, before I jump into the sermon, I want to let you know that first song we sang today, It's a New Day, that is Jason Wilson, OBC Worship Original. Um, And um, you know, God's just stirring something in Jason and our whole worship team to write these songs. And they're they're not about, hey, I want to write a song so y'all can hear a song. They come from this church, the experiences, the, the blessings, the... Pain sometimes that we walk with people through. And um, to take all of that and say, here is worship music for this church that these songs come from, wow. And don't they just do a fantastic job of leading us to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, man? All right, so we're in week four of our series called This We Believe. It's a series about Bible doctrine. We're studying six specific uh, Bible doctrines, and today we're going to be studying the doctrine of. Uh, The Bible, Um, and uh, so when I say doctrine, I just mean what the Bible teaches about any given subject. So if if we wanna discover the doctrine of angels, we gather together all the information that the Bible says about angels, and that becomes a Bible doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. So today we're gonna talk about the Bible. But in general, why is it even necessary to study Bible doctrine? Here's why. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. So we live in that kind of world, right? <clears throat> I mean, where people believe all kind of crazy stuff. So it's important that we cling to, understand the truth that comes from God's Word, uh, the Bible, because we're going to be tempted to believe all kinds of screwy stuff, man. So today, uh, we're going to study the doctrine of the Bible. The Apostle Paul um, had a young protege. His name was Timothy, and Paul was kind of his spiritual father. He uh, brought him to faith in Jesus. He, He ordained him into the office of being a pastor. Timothy pastored Paul's Favorite church, the church that was closest to, to his heart, uh, the church at Ephesus, and uh, in um, uh, this relationship, Paul wrote his young protege Timothy two letters, and we know them as the books of First and Second Timothy. In the Bible, and in these letters, in these books in the Bible, uh, Paul gave Timothy all kinds of instruction about how to be um, a faithful pastor and why pastors are necessary. We call it one of the pastoral epistles uh, in the Bible. But here's kind of the heart of all this instruction that Paul gave to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four, verse one. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, uh, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. One day, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to come to judge, and he's going to come to set up his kingdom, and it is going to be an everlasting kingdom. Jesus is coming back. Nothing can stop it. So Paul says to me, I urge you because of this. Now here's the urging. Preach. The Word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So teaching means doctrine. Encourage them with good doctrine. So you get that, right? Good teaching isn't just about making you feel good. That's not what that the whole of it consists of. Sometimes that's good. We want to make you f- be encouraged and help you through hard times. But also, he tells him, patiently correct and rebuke. Um, one Bible scholar said, Paul is telling Timothy to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. That's pretty, that's pretty close. I mean, so Paul gives us a twofold responsibility, a responsibility for me and a responsibility for you. I'm responsible To preach God's word without compromise, whether I think you want to hear it or not, I, I can't be accountable to God and just tickle your ears. You are responsible to receive the truth of God's word, whether you like what it says or not. You see, in life, we don't get to just manufacture our own truth. Truth has a source and it's God through his word to us. And that becomes the truth by which we live our lives. So, when we, as God's people, get our nose in the book, it's life changing stuff. Um, I can't ever remember a time in my life when the Bible hasn't been a central part of it. Um, One of my earliest memories growing up is seeing my dad uh, at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee and an open Bible. And he taught me at an early age to read through the Bible in a year. I think my dad did it um, 60 sometimes, man. Um, I'm on year 31. And I'm just telling you, there's something about just reading God's word every year that just changes you, there's intrinsic value in the truth of God's word. You've heard me say this a lot. I'm going to say it again. When you put it in, 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 after a while, it starts oozing out. And we start seeing the world through the pages of the scripture. So all of a sudden, we're making life decisions based on the truth of God's word. I mean, it's not like we just go, oh, here's this decision, Uh, here's chapter and verse. It's not like that. It's just the truth of God gets in you. So you kind of instinctively know this is right and this is not because it's oozing out of you. And you see the world through the pages of the Bible, the truth of God's Word. Now unfortunately though, so many of God's people would say, I believe it. I think it's from God. I think it's extremely important. I never read it. Now I go to church and listen to somebody talk about it, but I'm never alone with God in His Word. And you're missing so much. So then the Bible becomes something mystical to be revered but not something practical to be obeyed and we never learn to really kind of live under the authority of God's word it dictates how I live my life so the Bible is God revealing himself to us his will his plan for his people in fact God reveals himself to us Um, in two primary ways. The first one is this. Write this down. God reveals himself to us in general revelation. So when I say revelation, I don't mean the last book of the Bible. I mean the way God reveals himself to us. Romans 1 verse 19 says, uh, they know the truth about God Because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I mean, look around. God created this world. It didn't just pop up and it didn't just evolve over billions of years. God made it, not only did God make this world, God made you, God made me. And that's enough for us to know God is revealing himself to us. So we don't get to stand before God and say, I didn't know, God said, look around, somebody made you. Somebody made this. That's general revelation, God revealing himself to us in a very general way. But there's also specific revelation. That's the Bible because there's some things we can't know just looking around and seeing what God has done. So God wrote it down so that we can have revealed to us very specific things that God wants us to know about us and about him and about his plan for us. So let's just kind of talk about some of the basics of the Bible. What is the Bible? So uh, the word Bible is just a Greek word that means book. Um, There are 39 Old Testament books. Um, So the word Testament just means covenant. So there was an old covenant uh, where we connected to God through the priestly system and sacrifice. But then there's a new covenant, 27 books. And the new testament the new covenant where now we know god not through the blood of goats and and bulls and lambs but through the bible says the spotless lamb of god the lord jesus christ who was the one final sacrifice for all time and we need to get to know him personally what a great honor and privilege that is the bible tells an epic story and you know what the story is the redemption of the human race. So chapter one, God creates everything. Chapter two, God creates people. Chapter three, it all falls apart. And the whole rest of the Bible is about God's plan for putting it back together. And so God said, there is a a redemption for this sin coming that broke this world. And then God's people Israel He worked with them through priests and sacrifices that all pointed to the one sacrifice that would be God's son himself. Because the the blood of goats and bulls and lambs can't really forgive sin. And the Bible points to in the Old Testament the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that once for all, Forgave us of our sin. And then one day, he's coming back. So there's a whole story here, right? So there's creation, fall, redemption, a new creation. And that's the, the story of the Bible and how we fit into it. And here's the great news. Because of what Jesus did, the fall... Can never happen again because the the son of God gave his blood and it's a once for all time sacrifice. And it was such an incredible earth shaking, eternity altering thing that when the new creation takes place, it's covered in the blood of Jesus and can never fall again. So here's one of the basics about the Bible. Write this down. The Bible is God's Word. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, Therefore, we never stop thanking uh, God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very Word of God, which, of course, it is. And this Word continues to work in you who believe. Um, So, When we talk about the Bible, here's a question that everybody should ask. How do we know the Bible is from God? You you ought to ask yourself that question. If this is something I'm going to live my life by, we ought to ask ourselves, well, how do I know that's from God? Well, I want to give you a couple different kinds of evidence that the Bible really is from God. First, write this down. There is internal evidence what the Bible says about itself. Um, what does the Bible itself claim to be? Well, here's the first thing. The Bible claims to be inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Uh, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now let, let's look at that verse a little more closely. So when first Timothy three sixteen says all scripture is inspired by God. Now, I'm sure you've been inspired in your life. I mean, maybe you hear a song, you go, man, that song really inspires me. Or or you hear somebody um, say something and, and they've been through a lot of hard things in your life. You go, man, that person really inspires me to do the right thing. That is not what this word in the Bible, inspire, means. It doesn't mean that God just inspired the prophets and the apostles to write some stuff. And it was really their words. The word inspired is a compound Greek word, two words to make one word, and it's um, theos nutos. Theos means God. Nutos means breath. So when the the Bible says um, all Scripture, all the Bible is inspired, it's God's breath. It is the very words of God. It's not just... Human ideas. It's God's word given to us, His very breath. And it's really, really helpful to us. I mean, in verse 17, it says um, it teaches us what's right, it teaches us what's not right, it teaches us how to get right, and it teaches us how to stay right. I mean, that is a big deal. So maybe you're thinking, okay, wait just a minute. If the Bible is God's breath, God's very words, how did it get written down? I'm so glad you asked. 2 Timoth- Peter 1, 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, the prophets... The apostles, um, Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they just didn't go, uh, You know, I kind of feel like uh, this is a good thing to write. No. It wasn't their own interpretation. Look at verse 16. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, God's breath spoke through the Holy Spirit in the prophets and the apostles to come out through their pens in a way that it's from God through these men using their own life experiences and their own personalities. That's why when you read the Scripture, it's it's personal, uh, and God used all of that to write down exactly what he wanted his people to have so that we can know God and learn how to live a life that honors him because anytime a life honors God, it benefits us. So that was true in the Old Testament, given through the prophets. It's true in the New Testament, given through the apostles. Now, 2 Peter 3.15 says, and remember, the Lord's patience uh, gives people time to be saved. You ever wonder why God just didn't come back now? I mean, the world seems like a mess because God doesn't want any to perish. God loves everyone and he wants there to be time for anybody to come to faith in him. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters some of his comments are hard to understand, right? I mean, that's still true, right? I mean, you read some of Paul's epistles, you go, man, that is hard to get my mind around. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. So so in in 2 uh, Peter here, he is, he is connecting Paul's writing with the writing of the Old Testament, saying all of it is Scripture, and we have an enemy who's always trying to twist it so that we lose our confidence in what God wants us to know. So, putting all that together, what, what is it? that the Bible claims about itself. What is that internal evidence that the Bible says, this is how you know this is from God. First, the Bible claims to be inerrant. That just means without any errors. Uh, Psalm 19 verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving our soul. So when, when we say we believe that the Bible is inspired, there's a word that we use doctrinally for that. We call it verbal Plenary inspiration. Verbal, every word of the Bible is perfect, inspired by God, and all of it and in its entirety, plenary is the words of God. The Bible also claims to be authoritative. You know, over 1,900 times the Scripture says, Thus says the Lord. So when God says it, man, that's the end of the day, right? I mean, that's the that, end of the story. I mean, that's done. God said it. It's final. The Bible also claims to be all-sufficient. There's not an issue in our life that the Bible doesn't help. Psalm 19:7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commands of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The, com- the, the com- commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. Uh, they are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the cone. They are a warning to your servant and a great reward for those who obey them. Man, that that little passage there in Psalm uh, 19 is a mouthful, isn't it? I mean, but it says so much about the Word of God. I mean, man, it is perfect. It's God's law. It helps us. It encourages us. It's sweeter than honey. It's more valuable than gold. Wow. Revives our soul. Man, I can't even count the number of times in my life when I've been down, doobie-doo, down, down. And get alone with God and His Word. And He just loves on me and shows me truth and lifts me up. There's power in the Bible. There's not only internal evidence, what the Bible says about itself, that it's reliable and from God. But there's also uh, external evidence, things outside the Bible to prove Uh, its reliability. Um, So the Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years, starting in about 1450 around there B.C. with Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, all the way to about 90 A.D., where the apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. So it spans uh, a period of time of about fifteen hundred years. It was written by forty plus different men, apostles and prophets, who the Holy Spirit inspired to write exactly what God wanted them to write. And there's a there's a completeness to the Bible. There's a beginning. There's an end. There's a purpose. There there's a there, there's a consistent story. It's a big deal. You you know, that makes the Bible very different from a lot of the other uh, religious writings that we have today. For instance, um, if you were a Muslim and you said, I believe the Quran, well, to believe the Quran is from God, you have to believe Muhammad. No other way to go. Because here's what Muhammad said. He went into a tent, went into a trance for 40 days, wrote down the Quran, came out with it and said, this is God's word for everybody. Well, the problem is it's connected just to Muhammad. So everything rises and falls on whether or not you believe Muhammad. He's the linchpin. Same thing is true with Mormonism. Joseph Smith said he went to upstate New York. Uh, The angel Moroni came to him, which I think it's interesting that the Mormons have an angel called Moron-I. I I probably shouldn't have said that, sorry. You can erase that from the recording. Anyway, so uh, angel shows up, tells him where to go, find these golden tablets he digs up these golden tablets and they giving these special glasses so he could interpret it wrote it all down then the angel took the golden tablets away isn't that a coincidence that we don't have those anymore Um, but now he says this is God's work I think it's also interesting that both Muhammad and Joseph Smith said that they asked God which of the religions are right and God said none of them I'm going to give you a new one Isn't that interesting? You can't trust what God's already done. I'm going to give you something new. And that came with a new revelation from God. Huh. But just like with Muhammad, with Joseph Smith, everything depends on whether or not you believe Joseph Smith. But with the Bible, it's very different. It's not one event, one man. It's 40-plus men over a period of 1,500 years, yet there's one story, one truth, one God, one church. That gives us a lot more reliability where we don't have to trust just one man. We get to trust God working all through history. That makes the Bible very different. So. There's that kind of evidence. There's also uh, textual evidence. So, in general, when you people, scholars, examine uh, the uh, writings of antiquity, kind of ancient writings, there's some criteria they use. Um, and it looks like this so, um, who wrote it? What are the earliest copies we have in regard to when they were written? And uh, how many copies do we have? So take Homer, uh, one of the early philosophers. He wrote um, the Iliad. um, He he wrote uh, uh, the the Trojan War. um, And and he kind of wrote a lot of those kind of things. So everybody holds Homer up in regard to textual criticism as the shining star example because we have 643 copies of those manuscripts but the earliest one is a thousand years after it was written so here's the criteria that's important how close are the copies that we have to the actual events and how many copies do we have so Homer a thousand years after the actual event when he wrote it and we only have 643 copies Plato kind of the same thing you know real famous philosopher um uh, the oldest manuscripts we have are about 1,300 years from the time he actually wrote them, and we only have seven copies. Aristotle, uh, another big-time philosopher, uh, changed history in a lot of people's minds. Uh, we, uh, the oldest copies we have are about 1,400 years from the time they were actually written, and we only have... About five copies. Caesar, uh, you know, he wrote the Gaelic Wars, which a lot of people hold up as great literature. Um, the, the oldest copies we have were found to be written about 950 years. Actually, they were after it. And we only have about 10 copies now. So, so I want you to kind of get, get your mind around this a little bit. So these events happen. They write about them in 1,000 to 1,400 years is the earliest manuscripts we have. I mean, you think about how much time there is for that to change and can that really be reliable? We don't have really that many copies of them. But when it comes to the New Testament, only about 50 years from the time Jesus came to earth until the scripture started being written. I mean, you think about that. You know what that means? That w- this wasn't what somebody said, somebody said, somebody said. Somebody said. Somebody said. These are eyewitnesses who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what they saw. And how many copies do we have? Over 6,000 of those manuscripts. You, You know why that's a big deal? Because the world tells us the Bible's not reliable. It was just written by men. You can't trust it. But even by using their own criteria, the Bible is so trustworthy. Not only is there that kind of textual evidence, there's archaeological evidence. Man, when the Bible names a city, there's a city. Where the Bible names a place, there's a place. Now, for a long time, man, thousands and thousands of years, historians said there was no such thing as the tribe of the Hittites, which the Bible talks about a lot Um, but about a hundred years ago there was a guy named Hugo Winkler who discovered the Hittite capital exactly in the same place the Bible said it was exactly the same period of time the Bible said it existed Uh, a few years ago my dad and I went to Um, went to Israel, and when you go to Jerusalem, one of the things you can do is walk through King Hezekiah's tunnel. They call it Hezekiah's tunnel because Jerusalem was under siege uh, when he was king, and uh, Hezekiah had some men carve a tunnel through bedrock so that they could get water and supplies into the city. And uh, you walk through that tunnel, I mean, it's about this wide, and and you can see the, the chisel marks where they did it. The Bible says this tunnel exists, and that tunnel exists. I mean, I'll walk through there. It's almost a mile long. I had to walk sideways. I got a little plump, you know. But uh, in recent years, tablets with Pilate's name on it have been discovered. Caiaphas' house, who was the chief priest during Jesus' time, was, his house was discovered recently. It is an absolute miracle of God that the jewish people after thousands of years exist in the land god gave them right now today and that didn't happen until 1948 i mean it is amazing the archaeological evidence that proves the bible in fact every time they turn over a spade of dirt uh there in israel it proves the bible so there's not only uh archaeological evidence, but there's what we call canonical evidence. So the word canonical just means the canon. So approximately 300 years after the church began, um, they had a church council who canonized the scripture, the canonical books of the Bible. So you had all the books already there, already had been received by the church as being inspired by God, that they decided to take all those books and put them into one book, the 66 books of the Bible. And, you know, from the earliest days of the church, um, there have been these lies. Um, so you might remember this a few years ago. Uh, there was this book and then I had a movie. that was a big movie called The Da Vinci Code. And the Da Vinci Code basically said uh, in those biblical days when they were formulating the canon of the scripture that there was a lot of books that should have been in there and they left them out and they left them out for all these political reasons and they've manipulated the church for years and therefore that makes the Bible very unreliable. You know, but here's what I know. See, Satan then and now thinks if he can discredit God's Word, somehow he can discredit God, and that will not, cannot, will never happen. And the, the idea that there were these other books, there were other books. We call them the Gnostic Gospels, and the early church rejected them handily as not true heresy not accepted as part of God's Word. Um, so I like what F.F. F. Bruce said. He said uh, one thing must be emphatically stated. The New Testament books did not become authoritative for the church because they were formally included in a canonical list. On the contrary, the church included them in her canon because she already regarded them as divinely inspired, recognizing their innate worth and apostolic authority. J.I. Packer said, The church no more gave us the New Testament canon than Sir Isaac Newton gave us the force of gravity. I mean, uh, Isaac Newton didn't invent gravity. He just discovered it. Um, The church didn't invent the Bible. We just recognize it from God and accept its authority. So here's what I believe is most important about All that information I think is really helpful, especially if there are skeptics in your life who say, well, you can't, you know, the Bible was written by men and... And you know, all that. So that's good information to say. Well, not exactly. But here's the most important thing to me to say to you about the Bible. Write this down. The Bible, by its nature, is personal. It's personal. Hmm. By the way. This is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. I'm going to jump on for just a second. Um, I know a lot of pastors who really get jacked up about telling you, bring your Bible to church. I think it's a good thing to bring your Bible to church, but I don't really care if you bring it to church because I'm going to give it to you exactly the way I'm going to preach it. And there are so many different translations. It helps to have everybody on the same page. Look, I I don't really care if you bring it to church. Doesn't that make me sound like a horrible pastor? (laughs) But here's what I really care about that you get your nose in it every day when you're not in this building. That's way more important. Far more life-changing. All right, I'm off that hobby horse. (laughs) When we get passionate about the Bible, personally, there are amazing benefits in our life. Here's one, write this down. The Bible shows me how to know God. John 3.16 says, for God, so loved the, God, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We don't know how to be saved without the Bible. We don't know there was a, a man named Jesus who was God's son who died on a cross and offers us a gift of eternal life because he conquered death. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Here's another amazing benefit. The Bible personally teaches me about God. We call that illumination. So the Holy Spirit who inspired these authors of the Bible to write God's word also lives in us. So when we get alone with God's word, I'm a child of God studying the word of God and the spirit of God in me illuminates my mind to the truth of the scripture. That is a supernatural thing that happens every time a child of God picks up a Bible. First Corinthians 2:14 says, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. That's why unbelievers go, man, I don't get the Bible. Well, they can't because they don't know the author, and they don't have the Spirit to teach them. Here's another benefit of the Bible. The Bible keeps me from sin. Uh, Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, that doesn't mean just because you read the Bible, you're not going to sin. Here's what it means. Because the the truth of God is in you because you put it in, put it in, put it in. And then you come to a life decision. And you got to make a choice. Am I going to disobey what I know God says to do? or am I gonna obey what God says to do, but because the truth of God is in me and I know the consequences for disobeying God and the blessing of obeying God, I'm gonna do what God says, why? Because of his word that is hidden in my heart. Here's another benefit. The Bible guides me in life decisions, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I haven't faced a situation in my life that the light of God's word didn't guide me. If you'll let it. Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You know, everything around me can change. Everything around me can feel like it's fallen apart. But when I cling to the truth of God's word, I'm clinging to a God who is foundational, who never changes, who is all-powerful, and who loves me. We live in a broken world where there is not joy without heartbreak. There's not blessing without pain. When life is a blessing, we know what to do through the scripture give thanks with a grateful heart when I have a need I pray and God gives us an answer that's why Philippians 4 19 says our God will meet our needs according to his riches in glory man when I have a need I go to God God meets my need he promised me he would when we're worried God gives us peace Philippians 4 says be anxious for nothing But in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart where where you hurt and your mind where you worry. God made you a promise. How do we know the promise? It's in his word when life is hard. I, I can't even count the number of times in my life when somebody faced such hard circumstances, death of somebody they love, turmoil in life. So many ways life can just, man, just hit a wall. And I say, I want you to go read Psalm 34. What an amazing chapter in the Bible. God is near to the brokenhearted and helps those who are crushed in spirit. You know, when, when the Bible says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know where that's at in the Bible? It's in the book of Job. And you know what the context is? All of his children had just died. But because he knew God and the truth of God's word, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. So maybe you're going right now, okay, man, I, I, I get it, man. The Bible needs to become something way more important in my life. So where do I start? Here's where you start. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. I know so many people who say, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. And I always say, yeah, have you read it from cover to cover? Well, you know, I just, I can't understand it. When people say that to me, I say, "Okay, come here, come here, come here, come here. Let me help you," because I already know what they mean when they say I can't understand it. They have Grandma's Bible, and it's got a flower from Grandpa's funeral, and it's got all kinds of stuff in there, and you know, you can tell where Grandma underlined and everything, and and it's more like a filing cabinet than a Bible, and it's really important to them because it has a whole lot of memories, and they try to read it, and they go, oh, and it's a King James version of the Bible. The King James Version is an incredibly good translation of the Bible. It's not the only translation of the Bible. And it's written in Elizabethan English because it was written in the year 1611. So things like this. You know, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the Word of God is quick and active and sharper than two-eared sword. That's King James. A modern translation would say the Word of God is living. So the word quick... In the 16 and 1611 meant to be born. So when somebody had a baby, they called it the quickening. But when you say the word of God is quick, well, I, don't, I, I mean, what does that even? Mean? I don't know what that means. So you read that and you go, I don't. I, I mean, and so there's lots of examples of that. Now, man, if you're one of those King James people, I'm not throwing off on a King. Well, I am kind of throwing off on a King James version, but but I love it. I grew up on it. A lot of times when I quote scripture, it just comes out King James. I'm just saying, we don't speak Elizabethan English. But when we read the Word of God is living, it knows me what I'm going through right now, and it can help me. Get a modern translation. I recommend my favorites, New Living Translation. The ESV is a great. There's lots of great translations now, and all of them are just as from God as the King James Version, trust me. I highly recommend a modern translation. Read it, read it, read it, read it. Secondly, memorize it. Uh, When people say, well, I just can't memorize, you know, there's a word the Bible uses. It's a Greek word, balagna. Balone. Here's what I know. People memorize what matters the most to them. So when we say, I can't, I promise you this is true for people who say, I just can't memorize things. I can name probably 20 songs that they know every word to 50 year old songs. I could sing songs from 50, 60 year old sitcoms and you'd know which one it was. Hmm. Here's a story. Of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. What is it? You all know. But you can't memorize the Bible. Listen, if you memorize the Bible, it's going to help you. And the other thing is just meditate on it. Man, just think about it. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When you meditate on the truth of the scripture, and you talk about it with your family, when you're in the car, when you're eating, when it becomes a part of your home. It has an incredible impact on your life. Psalm one nineteen nine says, how can a young man stay pure? By obeying your word. Every one of us, every one of us have to decide. What is going to be the authority of our lives? For some of us, it's culture. You know, that's what everybody else does. It's popular, so it must be right. It can be tradition. We've just always done it that way. It can be reason. Well, I think it just makes sense. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. We can let our own personal feelings be the authority of our life. I believe it because I feel it. And we can have a tingle, a jingle, a quiver in our liver, but that doesn't make it true. My favorite story about Billy Graham. When he was a young preacher and God was just really starting to use him, a lot of uh, biblical critics kind of came after him. And they were asking him all these questions about the Bible that he couldn't answer. And he didn't know what to do. And one day he went into the woods and he had his Bible. And there was a stump and he laid his Bible on the stump. And he got down on his knees. And he said, God, I can't answer all the critics. But right here, right now, I am surrendering to the truth of this book. I believe this is your words to your people, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life teaching it as your truth. We can't even name one of those critics of Billy Graham, but the whole world came to know Billy Graham because of his faith and the truth of God's Word that says we live in a world where people are lost, dying on their way to hell. And the answer is Jesus. And he took that message to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Changed the world. So you get to decide. What's going to be the authority of your life? What are you going to do with the truth That God's given you. You gonna ignore it? You gonna just hope it's right? Or you gonna live under its authority? Read it. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you that we, your church, have instructions. We don't have to guess what it is you want us to do. And Lord, I pray right now, God, please. Please, God, would you speak to your people? And God, would you please convict their hearts to have the truth of your word guide their lives? And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.